if matches could go 50 rounds, Randy Cobb would never be beat. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Ulfstrom. He was famed as a brawler who could take punishment and was a tough guy character actor. This week, we look at the legend of Randall Tex Cobb. But first, who's your favorite Houston Oiler? Well, I'm going to go with one of the few that I know. Number one, Warren Moon, mm. who should have won in the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, Warren Moon, uh, I might have picked him as well. I actually uh, ran into him in the airport one time. But uh, <laughs> cool. he looked like he didn't want to talk to anyone, so uh, we stayed away. I'm going to go with the one and only Earl Campbell. Um, he is a household name and, uh, he has gone on to make some wonderful sausage. So, <laughs> well, you know, he's right here in Tyler with me. Um, and you can see big Earl around town. Sometimes people say, I saw big Earl, um, and the sausage factories out here. <clears throat> all right. So the big, big guys are taken. Listen, for all you youngsters out there who play your video games and your Fortnites, Back in the day, there was this thing called Tecmo Bowl. And it was the great... Super Tecmo Bowl was the best game ever. And uh, <laughs> I remember playing it at my cousin's house in the NES. And so I'm going to highlight... Shout out to wide receiver Drew Hill, number 85. He, uh, he actually was a very influential uh, big part of Warren Moon's passing game. And uh, holds a bunch of records. But uh, yeah, played a lot of Tecmo Bowl. It's a great game, great rosters. It was uh, way before the Madden thing happened. Mm. I always played the Kansas City Chiefs and played, uh, what was the big guy that played for the Chiefs? Uh, I was going to say, nobody was allowed to play the Raiders because Bo Jackson was basically (laughs) Superman, (laughs) unstoppable Superman. (laughs) And if you want to see some great videos, go to YouTube and Google Tech Mobile Bo Jackson and you'll just see people getting shamed on video games. (laughs) Shame! Fun times. Fun times. Randall Cobb was born in Bridge City, Texas, a small town in southeast Texas between Port Arthur and Orange, on May 7, 1940. His father was a factory foreman, and the family later moved to Abilene, Texas in the Panhandle, where Cobb spent most of his young life. He attended Abilene High School, where he played on the football team, and after graduating, he attended the local Abilene Christian University and played for future Philadelphia Eagles star running back Wilbert Montgomery. He dropped out of college at the age of 19, having decided that football wasn't going to be the life for him. He was a big kid, six foot three and weighed over 200 pounds. Searching for something that would appeal to his already wild spirit, he began karate training. He lived in a local dojo, cleaning the mats to earn his keep. He earned his black belt and began participating in full contact competition kickboxing. Cobb won his first nine matches, going 9-0, all with knockouts. Cobb knocked out El Paso Golden Gloves heavyweight champion and karate black belt David Ochoa in the first ever professional kickboxing event in El Paso, Texas in 1975. It was at this tournament that he met boxing matchmaker Paul Clemente. Clemente saw potential in the powerful young fighter and signed Cobb to a professional boxing contract a few weeks later. Clemente provided films of heavyweight boxers to study to get the huge Cobb a good style. After a few days, the trainers decided that he would work at learning 
After a few days, the trainers decided that he should work at learning the Joe Lewis shuffle, which was a boxing technique at the time. Cobb and Clinite spent several months in El Paso's San Juan Boxing Club just doing the simple basics. After he got those basics down, Clinite recommended that Cobb go to the great fight town of Philadelphia to further his training and gain visibility in the boxing world. Cobb signed up for training at famed heavyweight champ Joe Frazier's gym in Philadelphia and soon began impressing the trainers and local journalists with his strength and incredible toughness. And his slow drawl and laconic sense of humor soon earned him the name Tex. Cobb lost his first two amateur bouts, but his trainers still felt they were onto something. He worked hard, and he could take a punch like nobody anyone had ever seen. Cobb made his professional boxing debut on January 19, 1977, back in El Paso. He won with a knockout. He went on to win 13 straight fights by 1979, all by knockout. In Philadelphia, Cobb made friends with a local newspaper columnist named Paul Dexter, whose columns sometimes focused on Texas exploits and his ride up the heavyweight ranks. It didn't hurt that 1977 was the year that tough, brawling heavyweights from Philadelphia who could take a beating became en vogue because of the success of, of course, the movie Rocky. There were a lot of parallels between both Cobb and Rocky Balboa and Rocky's real-life inspiration, Chuck the Bayonne Bleeder Wepner, who'd taken a horrific beating from Muhammad Ali in 1975 but managed to knock the greatest down during one round of the fight. Cobb was a fighter who had a lot of hitting power, but his greatest asset was an almost inhuman ability to absorb punishment. No story about Cobb in the boxing world doesn't mention that he had possibly the greatest chin in boxing history. In 24 fights by 1985, he was never even taken off his feet. Famed boxing commentator Howard Cosell later said about him, quote, if matches could go 50 rounds, Randy Cobb would never be beat. In 1980, Cobb had a match against Ernie Shavers, a man considered one of the greatest strikers, <clears throat> a man considered to be one of the greatest strikers in boxing at the time. The two men brutalized each other for eight rounds until Cobb hit an uppercut on Shavers and broke Shavers' jaw, earning him the match. Dexter wrote in his column about the match, His face looked exactly the way a face is supposed to look after Ernie Shavers has been beating on it half the night. His body was rope-burned and turning black and blue, and the end of his nose was red like he was four days into a bad cold. I said, I wish you wouldn't fight Ernie Shavers anymore. I absolutely promised, Tex responded. Cobb later said about Shavers, No one hits like Shavers. If anybody hit as hard as Shavers, I'd shoot him. The Shavers fight put him into contention for the heavyweight title, heralded by Larry Holmes. He lost his two following bouts by decision to former champion Ken Norton and future champ Michael Dokes, respectively. But his strong showing in both fights and the controversial nature of the decisions kept him in contention, because boxing is confusing. Three consecutive victories in 1981 and 1982 put him back in line for the title. One of those matches against journeyman Jeff Shelberg in Atlantic City was a seven-round beating. In the fourth round, Cobb told Shelberg, Hang in there, Jeff. After this is over, we're going to go out and get drunk. On November 26, 1982, Cobb was set for the great opportunity of his career, the WBC heavyweight champion held by 41-0 Larry Holmes. The bout was promoted by boxing impresario Don King in Houston's famed Astrodome and it would be broadcast on international television with commentary by Howard Cosell. The match went down in history for two reasons. 
First of all, it turned out to be one of the biggest mismatches in boxing history. Cobb was outboxed and outpunched by Holmes in every round, and in the end, Holmes was given a win by unanimous decision. However, the bigger story was that there was a decision. The punishment doled out by Holmes was simply absorbed by Tex Cobb, who took the hits and never, ever went down. Cosell's tone throughout the fight went from admiration of Cobb's toughness to absolute disgust and horror that the referee would not stop the fight and that the Texas fans were cheering the beating. After the match, the disgusted Cosell berated the referee and the rules of boxing of the day for allowing the fight to continue, but praised Cobb's toughness and bravery. History was made when he stated that he would no longer call another boxing match because of this one. In many ways, the media attention before and after this fight is where the legend of Tex Cobb truly begins. Despite the defeat, his wit and humor endeared him to the press, as well as to his fellow boxers. At the end of the match, the bloody and battered Cobb embraced Holmes with a huge grin, and as Holmes helped him back to his own corner, told Holmes, Hey baby, that was fun. Let's do it again. In a phone booth. After the match, he told reporters that he would have... After the match, he told reporters that he would have won, but he had simply run out of rounds, and that his fight plan had been to beat up Holmes' hands with his face. A reporter brought up Holmes' reach advantage and asked Cobb how he could fight someone whose arms were a foot longer than his. He replied, Oh, it seemed that way to you too? When asked what he had been saying to Holmes during the match, he said, Every time I wanted to say something, I found it hard because he kept putting his left hand in my mouth. He said he'd be open to another fight, but he wasn't sure if Holmes's hands could take it. Finally, when he found out about the criticism that Cosell had for the fight and that he was retiring from commenting on boxing, Cobb replied, Hey, if it gets him to stop broadcasting NFL games, I'll go play football for a week, too. After the Holmes fight, Cobb continued boxing, but never really returned to contention. He won four in a row before losing four in a row in 1984 and 1985, including another match to Dokes, as well as a loss to future heavyweight champ Buster Douglas. His match in 1985 against D. Collier was his first and only knockout loss, occurring in the first round. It prompted accusations that he threw the match. He made a brief return to kickboxing in 1984, losing on points. From 1987 to 1993, he went on a 20-fight undefeated streak against slightly regarded opponents before retiring again rather suddenly in 1993. A 1993 Sports Illustrated article alleged that Cobb had participated in a fixed fight with Sonny Barch in 1992 and that he had used cocaine with Barch and promoter Rick Elvis Parker before and after the fight. Despite the fact that both fighters did test positive for cocaine after the bout, Cobb said the magazine libeled him and he sued for $150 million. In 1999, a jury awarded Cobb $8.5 million in compensatory damages and $2.2 million in punitive damages. However, the verdict was overturned in 2002 by a federal appeals court, which said that the article was not published with, quote, actual malice. Shout out to our lawyers listening on the podcast. The Sports Illustrated article effectively ended his boxing career, but by this point, he was well into his second life, one that sprang directly from the fame he gained as an up-and-coming boxing contender with a weird look and a wild personality. Beginning 1983, Cobb began appearing in supporting roles in films. He was never a leading man, but he carved out a niche for himself as a character actor who could use his physical presence, his strange appearance, and his laconic wit to bring flavor to the roles that he played. 
His first film had been as a bit character in the 1979 boxing film The Champ, but his first real speaking role he had was in 1983's post-Vietnam POW film Uncommon Valor, where during his death scene, he coined the phrase, open up a can of whoop-ass. He was in the 1986 Eddie Murphy supernatural comedy vehicle, The Golden Child, and then in 1987, he appeared in the movie Critical Condition with Richard Pryor, where he played a mental patient who thinks he's a brother. He also appeared in a Dirty Dozen TV movie in Police Academy 4 and another minor comedy called Buy and Sell. However, he also appeared in a film where his legend really was cemented for kids of the 80s like us. This was the Coen Brothers' second film, Raising Arizona, where he played a motorcycle-riding, shotgun-and-grenade-toting, cigar-chomping madman bounty hunter Leonard Smalls, who uttered the immortal line named Smalls, Leonard Smalls, my friend called me Lenny, only I ain't got no friends. And you want to find an outlaw, hire an outlaw. You want to find a Dunkin' Donuts, call a cop. His performance, while brief, is one of the highlights of this film, though he apparently wasn't the easiest actor to work with. Joel Cohen noted at the time that, like his characters portrayed in the film, Cobb was, quote, less an actor than a force of nature. I don't know if I'd rush headlong into employing him for a future film. In 1987, Cobb had another notable performance in the second Fletch movie, Fletch Lives, where he played a violent biker convict who was locked up in a jail cell with Fletch for the charge of, quote, molesting a dead horse. He later has a memorable scene where Fletch has to outsmart and outride Cobb's biker gang, the Nazis from Natchez. For the rest of the 80s and 90s, Cobb appeared in character parts, generally as the tough, rough, or wild heavy, usually as a biker or a brawler redneck. His other films include... Blind Fury, Digstown, Naked Gun, 33 and a Third, Ace Ventura, and Liar Liar. He also frequently appeared in TV shows including Miami Vice, Moonlighting, Highlander, MacGyver, The X-Files, and Walker, Texas Ranger, where he had the distinction of being a bad guy in the series finale. According to a Texas Monthly article written by John Sprong, who, co- who spoke with Cobb on the film set of the Walker finale in 2001, quote, Randall Tex Cobb had barely 20 words of scripted dialogue, but wherever he went, a segment of the mongrel pack of extras went with him. Small children, pretty girls, one-eyed drunks, all kinds were drawn to the deliberate pug-faced lug with a laugh that shook the old West movie set like a series of cannon shots. When he was asked about Chuck Norris, Cobb replied, I am most appreciative of the fact that Chuck Norris saw fit to include me in this project. He is the real deal, the only thing that's real in this whole business. Van Damme, he got his ass handed to him in a beer and boob joint in New York City. And you know who had to bail him out? Mickey Rourke. Steven Seagal, I can put my hands right now on a 67-year-old man named Judo Jean Lubel who choked him out so quick that Seagal relieved his bladder before he went unconscious. And that's no rumor, brother. Sprung asked if he could have taken Norris in their respective primes, and Cobb responded, Son... That's the reason God created weight divisions. This was one of Cobb's last acting credits. In the early 2000s, Cobb moved back to Philadelphia and withdrew from public life. He became a local celebrity, the tough guy who everybody knew from fighting Holmes and from the movies. He rarely consented to interviews, but would regularly discuss spirituality and religion with the people he met at bars and the Starbucks. In the mid-2000s, he enrolled in Temple University in order to finish his degree, graduating at the age of 54, magna cum laude, with a degree in sports and recreation management. 
He lost one son, Bo, in an accident in 1999, but his other son, Joshua, briefly took up boxing. Today, Cobb is still alive, mostly living a quiet life in Philly, and is very difficult to contact. He remains friends with writer Pete Dexter, in part because of the unique bond that they share. In 1981, Dexter had written a column about the death of a popular local youth who'd been killed in a drug deal gone wrong. His family and the neighborhood were angry that the young man was depicted as a drug addict, and the victim's brother, a Philadelphia bartender, roughed Dexter up when Dexter tried to discuss their complaints. Dexter went to Tex Cobb's house, and when Cobb saw the rough shape his friend was in, took off with Dexter to go back to confront the bartender and his friends. When they arrived at the bar, they found that the neighborhood had provided reinforcements in the form of a mob of around 25 angry locals who attacked Dexter with tire irons and baseball bats, breaking his back, pelvis, and fracturing his skull. Cobb, armed with nothing but his fist, waded into the fray, announcing to the mob, if he's dead, every one of you is dead too. Nobody died, but Cobb did get a broken arm. He was able to get Dexter into a car into a hospital. On the drive there, Dexter later wrote, he said aloud, they should have planned the night better. Cobb responded, General Pickett planned it better at Gettysburg. Historical reference acknowledged. <laughs> Cobb's injury forced him to pull out of one fight with WBA champ Mike Weaver and allegedly cost him a bout with Muhammad Ali. Dexter switched to writing fiction and later claimed that Cobb never boxed the same after that incident. However, there was one thing that Dexter knew for sure. Tex Cobb was a man who would always have his back, no matter what it cost him. Well, I mean, you know, you said it best. Like, for us, he's just, he's an iconic actor of so many great <laughs> films. Yeah. I, I, I very clearly remember watching, I remember when The Golden Child came out, and everybody ragged on that movie, but it played on a loop on HBO for a while there when we yeah, were kids. It's a funny movie. Which, which movie? It's a great movie. The Golden Child. The Golden Child. Oh, yeah. And one of his early yeah. ones, and he's he's got like a forehead prosthesis thing, and he doesn't say anything, but he's, he's just kind of big a and gimpy. He's a, he's a big, big goony gimp. Yeah. yeah. But I just remember seeing him in that, and then seven all these other movies, and I'm like, man, that guy's great. I mean, and then you find the guys from Texas, and you're like, that's even greater. <laughs> he was like the character that he played in in Raising Arizona is. You just, he, yeah. he's, it is, that is iconic. I mean, that is beyond iconic. He, he's, he's like a character stepped out of Mad Max movies. He's riding that motorcycle and just that, that mop of hair and the big beard. And he just looks like a, he looks like a living action monster. You know? Uh, mm -hmm. I just always picture him in, in that, that trailer uh, bending down and looking at the wall where the kids earlier had written fart on the wall and just <laughs> look on his face. Uh, it's just hilarious. And then, you know, picking up that baby's carried, you know, baby carrier on that when he's on the bicycle. Uh, and then, and then I love him in Fletch. Like to me, like those two movies are the, just the, that's the yin and the yang for the, for that, for that him as an actor is, is, is the, Raising Arizona, and then as the character on Fletch, you know, what are you in for? Molesting a dead horse. <laughs> What's your name? Ben Dover. <laughs> How you doing, Ben? <laughs> oh, love that movie. What a great, he's just a great character. He's just a great character actor. It's very strange, though, that he just kind of just dropped off the face of the earth. But uh, uh, good for him if he's happy and um, is living the life that he wants to live. But 
you know, you, you go back and then you go, you can go on YouTube and you can watch that full fight. And it is, it is, it is a remarkable fight. And because it's just like, he just takes a beating. He doesn't get any headway in, in hitting, you know, Holmes, but he, you know, the Holmes tries to pull back a little bit in the last rounds. And every time he trying to tries to pull back, Tex just comes at him and starts hitting him. So Holmes has to hit him back. Uh, and, and he's, his face is swollen and Cosell is just coming unhinged completely. And just, this is an outrage. This is a disgrace. Great. You, sh- you should go watch. <laughs> oh, man. I tell you, like this guy, so many happy moments watching him on screen. I think they're just people who, I mean, it's interesting that uh, the Coens are like, you know, he's a force of nature and you don't want, but it's just like he's so authentic. I think that's probably the way he comes across on screen is so authentic is that he is just a iron chin brawler. Who just, uh, he's just as real. It seems like he's just as real as they come. Yeah, I, I found another reference to the filming of that movie that basically said uh, he actually was more difficult to deal with than Nicolas Cage was, uh, which is a rare occurrence apparently in, in Hollywood, especially at that time. I mean, if I'm doing, let's, if we just take five minutes to play fantasy casting, <laughs> I would love to see Tex Cobb and Nick Cage team back up. Maybe they reprise their like characters from Raising Arizona but have to team up and go on a cross-country adventure? I don't know. Well, it'd be difficult because they did get blown up with a grenade. In the... You know what? Have you seen any of the Marvel <laughs> movies? Have you seen... Have you seen... I mean, like, listen. I mean, like, we're living in a new century. Yeah. Dead is never dead in movies. Here's a hypothetical question. Did he ever stand a chance? I mean, he had power... He was the toughest of tough guys. He could take a beating. He could get in there and shake it up. But he just never really got the brass ring. Never got to make the true shot at the title. You know, he just seemed to come. He wasn't a he wasn't a technical fighter. That was one thing. And and Holmes was was as big as him and as powerful as he was. So it was going to be difficult for him to. Uh, it was going to be difficult for him to beat Larry Helms. He he might have stood a chance if he got in that fight against Muhammad Ali earlier, um, because Ali was Ali ended up fighting Trevor Burbick and lost. Um, Ali was well well past his prime, but Ali also was like had already probably gained Parkinson by that point. So it's kind of six of one and a half dozen of another. Yeah. Well. I, yeah, I mean, he, he was, but he was, he was that was. He was a tough guy. I mean, he had he had that chin, that granite chin, that he could just take anything. And but uh, you know, been interesting to see if he'd been around, stuck around, and fought Mike Tyson to see how that. Well, would he's work. the kind of guy you wanted to have your back. That's for sure. Yeah, wasn't we yeah. should do the uh, what was it? it? Was the it was one of the last Rocky? It was one of the last Rocky movies where they did the computer simulation where they had. Uh, so oh, maybe yeah. you can get that team to yeah. work on uh, Tex Cobb versus Mike Tyson. Hypothetical uh, <laughs> boxing fight. Tex Cobb is just, he's an institution. You know, it's like you, you see him on screen and, and he had that instant presence and he's the epitome of what you think of when you think of a, uh, a tough Texan. So, mm-hmm. Indeed. Indeed. 
That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Schaum with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. If you love this show, you'll love the sweet science of boxing, or maybe you're a big-time movie fan, tell your friends about what we're doing, and go leave a review on iTunes, because that helps us out to find listeners just like you. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.